session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two, one hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get into the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight, I wanted to announce the book of the week for this week. It is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari. 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, Yuval Noah Harari. He wrote um, Sapiens, which was a book of the week last year, um, which I really enjoyed. It was recommended to me by my brother, Parham. And I've heard good things about this book, so I wanted to check it out. So I'll talk about that next week. And um, related to when I'll talk about this book, I won't be doing a show Monday night uh, because of the Martin Luther King holiday so there won't be live programming here at Radio Hamra so I'll do my show Wednesday and I'll talk about this book on Wednesday afternoon looking forward to reading it and talking about it then all right the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight is No Drama Discipline by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson No Drama Discipline the whole brain way to calm the chaos and nurture your child's developing mind and I can not recommend this book highly enough to any parent or as they mention in this book really anyone who works with kids or plays a significant role in a kid's life a grandparent family member coach teacher therapist uh, i highly recommend the book really really good essentially everything i was reading i was agreeing with in the book so much good information and insights and uh, ways of thinking about things that I think make a lot of sense. And a lot of them you've probably heard me talk about on this show before. But there was just so much in the book that I, I thought was worth reading for any parent. And so to begin with, when we look at this word, discipline, the title of the book is No Drama Discipline. Usually people think of discipline, especially when it comes to kids, we just think of punishing bad behavior. So when you talk about disciplining your children, we think a bit that aspect of it only that when you punish the bad things or how do you punish them is really a lot of times what people mean by how do you discipline your kids do you spank them do you do timeouts do you yell do you try to use other means but what is your form of punishment essentially but that's not what discipline means as they mentioned very early uh, in the book in the introduction uh, discipline comes from the latin word discipline disciplina which uh, is more about teaching, learning, and giving instruction. So really, discipline is more about teaching than punishing. And we have to have that mindset when it comes to disciplining our children, that it's not about punishing them, but about helping them learn, learn about right and wrong, 
learn about themselves and what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, what their actions are. Learn about other people's feelings and how it affects them. Learning about relationships, all the things that we want to teach them. So when we think of discipline, it's very important for us to change this mindset to go away from the idea that it's about punishing your kids. Because when you just think about punishment, then all we're doing is waiting for the bad behavior and reacting to it. And that itself is going to be a problem. Uh, parenting and disciplining your children is a lot more about being proactive and taking steps ahead of time so that you don't have to deal with as many headaches and difficult situations. What I also liked about the book, before I get into more about uh, some of the details of their philosophy and this no drama discipline, is that they were also very accepting and realistic, meaning that in many parts throughout the book, they mention how you're not going to get it right all the time. Everyone makes mistakes. And even in a very nice show of vulnerability, at the end of the book, they both share stories where they really made a big mistake in parenting. And they titled that chapter or that section, When a Parenting Expert Loses It. And so both Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson share uh, an incident where they really did a bad job as a parent or they made some big mistakes to show that, look, even as a parenting expert, you're going to make big mistakes because parenting is hard. It's the hardest role you're probably going to ever have in your life. And uh, because of that, you're never going to be perfect. You're going to get things wrong. And as they also mention in the book, getting it wrong isn't always so bad because having ruptures in a relationship, having sometimes things go wrong can actually help it grow if those ruptures, those mistakes aren't so big and if we make efforts to repair them. It can actually make the relationship stronger and even make your kids stronger. doesn't mean you need to intentionally make mistakes. You're going to make them anyway. But just know that even when you do, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be very detrimental to your kids. It even can potentially lead to growth. So let's look at their approach in a little bit more detail or a little bit more of an outline. One thing they emphasize is how important it is to connect first. So usually when our we get caught in a situation where we think we have to discipline our kids, we usually react and go straight to punishment or teaching a lesson or figuring out what to do. But as I emphasize, you want to connect with your child emotionally first, which depending on their age and your relationship with them might mean different things. It might mean patting them on the back and saying uh, that you saw what just happened, seeing how they're feeling, validating their feelings. It could be lots of different things, but the first thing you want to do is connect. A lot of times parents think their role is to just be a manager, a manager of behaviors, of appointments, of whatever else is going on. But your job actually is more about connecting to your child. So in those moments when something happens, your child does a behavior you don't quite like, it's very important to connect first. And as I mentioned, this has lots of benefits. The first thing is that when you connect to your child, it'll help them move from what they call a place of reactivity to one of receptivity. And so what that means is that usually if your child is misbehaving, they're in a very emotional state of mind, or as they put it, their downstairs emotional brain is more active than their upstairs thinking, logical, reasoning brain. And so because of that, by connecting to your child, you can help them calm themselves and connect more to their um, receptive 
mind or the mind that can actually think things through. And because of that, they'll be more open to what's going to happen next and whatever happens in your interaction. But another benefit of connecting with your child is that it builds their brain, as they put it. And they talk about some research ideas in neuroscience of how you can help develop the connections in the brain. Help your child recognize that when they're feeling very emotional, they can look at the situation and use their more logical mind, the, the frontal cortex, prefrontal cortex, and get that engaged so that they don't have to just act purely on emotion. And this can be important. So they talk about this throughout the book, how you interact with your child, how you discipline your children has literal effects, physical effects on how their brain is going to develop. And we want to keep that in mind. And also when you connect to your child first at all times, but especially in these moments that can be heated or when your child is acting out, it also deepens your relationship with them. And that is so important. Because one thing I hear a lot from parents, and even sometimes you'll hear from parenting experts or people who talk about parenting, is we talk about what works, quote unquote. And usually what people mean when they say what works is what gets the child to do what you wanted to, them to do as soon as possible or right when you want them to do it. So if you want your child to put on their shoes, whatever you do to get them to put their shoes on, that worked. But to me, that's missing a big part of the equation or what's going on. Because if you use fear and threats and anger, you maybe can get a child to do what you want in that moment. But there's lots of costs you're getting and lots of benefits you're missing when you do that. Because if your whole intention is to get them to do what you want, when you want, uh, I can tell you another person who's very good at that is an armed robber. If someone comes into the room with a gun, they can get anyone to do whatever they want when they want because they have the gun. But do you want to have that kind of relationship with your child where it's based in fear, where it's based on them being terrified of you, of you using anger and aggression and even maybe threats, whether it's threats of violence or other things, to get them to do something? So we have to switch the goal of just getting them to do what we want and focus on bigger picture goals, which includes things like um, helping them develop their brains, but also helping them develop the relationship between you and your child. Because when you use fear and anger and threats, you might get them to do something in the moment, but the costs you pay in how they feel about themselves and how they feel about you are huge. I'll sometimes talk about if you can have two kids and they both have a test the next day and one parent will say to the kid, if you don't get an A tomorrow and you get that test back, you're going to get a beating when you get home. So you better study or you're going to have a beating when you come home tomorrow. And you have another child who the parents have encouraged and supported and created a good relationship and helped him or her study. And they know that they've taught their child that learning is good and doing your best is important and you want to strive for greatness. And both children might get an A. So we might say, well, it worked in both cases. But the first child who got the threat didn't learn lots of good things because they just learned the only reason you should study is to avoid punishment. The only reason to try hard is to avoid punishment. So if you have no threat of punishment, they're not going to try hard. And of course, they're not going to feel good or close to their parents either because they're going to be afraid of them. They'll think, wow, if I don't do something perfectly or don't do it right, my mom or dad doesn't love me. They'll even hit me and hurt me. That's going to damage the relationship significantly. Whereas the other child will learn that, that it's good to learn, that trying good is uh, important, to try your hardest is important, and also that they have a loving relationship with their 
parent. So your role as a parent is first and foremost to develop a relationship with your child. You're not supposed to get them to become something or to act like you want them to become. More importantly, you want to make sure you create a good relationship with your child. Now, looking at some of the principles they talk about, one of them that's very important is the, he, uh, they call it chase the why. So instead of focusing on the behavior, what they did, you want to try to understand why did they do what they did. You want to try to understand that. And uh, a book I read last year that I talked about by Claudia Gold, I think it was called The um, Early... Yeah, The Developmental Science of Early Childhood by Claudia Gold. It emphasizes point of curiosity. That as a parent, and really I think this is anyone, when it comes to your partner, or even to yourself, or anyone you're interacting with, try to understand the why of what a child is doing, or whoever is doing, but especially we're talking about parenting. Why is my child doing this? Not just, oh, she's being difficult again, or I think she does this to annoy me, or she's just trying to get attention. Because even if they're trying to get attention, try to understand the why. Is it because I haven't given them enough attention? Have I been giving his brother or sister more attention and now they want my attention? Understand the why. Could just be they're tired, having a bad day. Lots of things can be happening. But we want to shift from judging their behavior in a negative way to trying to understand the why. And let me share a story that for me illustrated this a couple of years ago. I would, was tutoring this young girl. She was five years old. And uh, I had seen her first in a group setting tutoring. And then we started doing one-on-one -on -one tutoring sessions. And when we started, she was very energized. And when I would see her, almost dysregulated. She would act out. She would bite her pencil, bite erasers, throw things. She wouldn't sit still. She wouldn't listen to what I was saying. Whereas before, she was a lot easier to work with in that sense that she was um, cooperating more. But now I noticed she was almost, it seemed angry at me. Anyway, one day uh, I was trying to redirect her to get back to her work when she was uh, under the table and not coming back up and making noises and trying to be disruptive. And then all of a sudden I felt a sharp pain in my forearm and I looked down and she was biting my forearm really hard. And so I tried not to react so strong because I felt that maybe she was trying to get a reaction out of me. I wasn't sure what to do. But nonetheless, um, she eventually let go of the bite. I didn't know what to say. I think I said something about, oh, that, that hurt or something like that. It was so uh, bad. I remember it left a mark for a day or two. But nonetheless, so I went home that night. And when I was driving home, I thought, you know, gosh, that was pretty um, intense moment. But I really did try to understand why it might have happened. And I said, well, if she's biting me, that is a sign of anger. So maybe there's some kind of anger there that she's expressing. So I kept that in mind. And the next time I was there, she didn't bite me, but she did act in some aggressive ways. And I felt some anger. And so I asked her, um, I said, you know, I get the feeling you're angry with me. Are you angry with me? And she nodded her head. I still remember very cute and sweet, nodded her head to me and said, saying yes. And I said, well, why are you mad at me? And she said something that really, I mean, it was so touching and broke my heart. But I said, why are you mad at me? And she said, because you leave. And so she was would get excited to see me. But then the fact that I would go every time was hard for her to handle. 
And of course, that made me understand her better. And I told her, uh, you know, I miss you too when I leave. And every time I leave, I know that I'm going to come back next week and see you again. And I look forward to that. But I always miss you when I go. Because to me, the why was that you go. And also she was sharing in a way that I miss you when you go, or I don't like that you go. So I wanted to connect with her there. Now, I think I could have handled the situation much better. I overall was happy with what I did. But had I handled it, how many people would suggest is you have to tell her, well, what you did is wrong and bad and what are you doing and punish her, put her in timeout, do a whole sorts of things to make her feel bad for what she did, to make sure she learned her lesson that biting is wrong. But to me, that would be missing a lot more of what was really happening, what was much more significant, but especially trying to understand the why I actually realized her biting me, of course, is not a great way to express what she was feeling, but it actually was coming from a place of, I miss you. I care about you. It wasn't coming from some bad, malicious place. And yes, there'll be time to try to teach her that that's not the best way to express our feelings. You have big feelings. Sometimes we have to learn how to express them in a way that doesn't hurt others, of course, but she's five. She can't handle her feelings the way we would want optimally, just like we sometimes can, especially as a five-year-old, you can't. So to me, that's a great illustration, this idea that you always want to try to understand the why, not just jump to what they did and how you should punish them and what you have to teach them in that moment. Take a step back and understand that why, have a stance of curiosity. Now, this book, um, as I mentioned, has so much great information in it that I didn't want to just devote one segment. So I'm going to continue talking about this book, which is No Drama Discipline by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. After the break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm going to continue the discussion on No Drama Discipline by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. Again, highly recommend this book, especially to parents or really anyone who works with kids. And just in general, I think a lot of the messages, of course, they are uh, geared towards how to interact with children. But there's a lot of good uh, insights that I think in general are important for people to know or think about in how we deal with emotions or even uh, looking at behavior. But anyway, looking at some of the other things they talk about in their no drama discipline philosophy or ideas, they talk about how important it is often throughout this book about validating feelings. And it's a very cliche thing you hear psychologists and therapists talk about validation, but it's so important. And one thing that's really important that, that they mention a few times throughout the book and why it's important to connect with your kids, even when they're misbehaving, as they put it, when your child is acting the worst, that's usually when they need you the most. And this can be really hard for parents because that's when they're acting in the ways that are hardest to deal with or even tolerate. Screaming, tantruming, hitting their brother or sister, saying, I hate you or saying, I hate my brother. Whatever it is they're saying or doing, usually it's pretty hard to handle in those moments, but that's when they need you the most. And so it asks a lot of parents, but this is when you really need to focus on making sure they feel that I don't want to just be around you when you're happy and good. Or I don't just tolerate you when you're happy or good and don't like you when you're really upset or bad. I always love you. I always will be here for you. Even when you're having your really bad moments, might not mean I like what you're doing in that moment. I don't have to like the behavior, but I always will love you. 
and make you feel that I'm here for you no matter what. Because imagine how you would feel as an adult if a friend or a romantic partner made you feel like, I love you when you're happy and doing exactly what I want, but anytime you don't do that, I don't like you at all and I don't want to even be around you. And this is actually why timeouts can be so ineffective. Now, they do talk about timeouts a bit in this book. You know, usually people think of timeout as a form of punishment. Again, that's what we think of with parenting. Usually we think it's all about punishment and how do you punish. But really timeouts, if they're used effectively, are supposed to be part of a bigger picture approach where you explain to your child that timeouts aren't punishment. You are bad. You have five minutes timeout in your room. But timeouts, the function is to help them calm down and regulate themselves. Because when they're acting out, they're usually emotionally dysregulated or too much emotional activities going on. And you want to help them calm down. So it's more about communicating to them that you can take time away when you feel overwhelmed to calm yourself down and then come back to a situation or come back to an interaction. So it's not supposed to be a punishment. And that's unfortunately how so often it is used. So if you do want to use timeout, be aware of how you are using it. And usually there are other effective ways to uh, use discipline techniques that don't include timeouts. But coming back to validating feelings. So even if you don't like what your child is doing, you can say yes to the feelings. So you can say you, you can say no to the behavior or no to what they're doing, but you always say yes to the feeling. So what this can look like is if your child is playing um, a game, but it becomes bedtime and you know it's bedtime and you say, okay, it's bedtime. Got to go brush your teeth. Your child might say, oh man, no, I want to keep playing. And you know, they have to go to sleep because they got to get enough sleep to go to school the next day or whatever it is they're going to be doing tomorrow. So you can say, I see how much fun you're having playing your game, but we have to make sure we get to sleep at a certain time so you're rested tomorrow. So you can say yes to the feeling because it makes sense. They're having fun. They're enjoying themselves. And now all of a sudden they have to stop in the middle of having fun. And so this is where the empathy piece from your, your part as a parent comes. And you get it, but you still have to enforce the rule. Just like if your kid wants to go run in the street to play, you might get that it looks fun or exciting. But because you have to protect your kid, you don't care about the feeling as far as letting them act on the feeling. But you're going to stop them. So you get the feeling. You can embrace the feeling, acknowledge and validate the feeling. But you don't have to say yes to the behavior or yes to the request. I know you want to go to your friend's house because you have so much fun when you go to Billy's house. But tonight we have to stay because your grandparents are coming over and it's your grandma's birthday. So you can always say yes to the feeling and show them you care and you understand how they're feeling and what they're feeling matters to you. But you don't have to say yes to what they're saying. And oftentimes people who hear parenting, quote unquote, parenting experts think, oh, they're just trying to make kids soft and they're just going to be indulgent and let parents or tell parents to do whatever the kid wants every time. And that's not at all the case. Uh, you have to set firm boundaries. Your kids need the boundaries to feel safe and secure. Even if they do bump up against them and will try to break them or go against them, you have to keep those boundaries for them. And being consistent is actually very helpful to your child. So it's very important to do that. Now, they also have a bunch of strategies that they uh, talk about, uh, no drama redirection strategies, and they use the acronym redirect with each word uh, or each letter having a different word or different phrase. And I'll go through some of those because I think they are important. So one strategy that they talk about is reduce words. And I've seen this in my office and I know most parents do this and most people do this. 
when we see our children or someone do something wrong, we think we need to give them the best lecture to convince them that what they're doing is wrong. And I can't tell you how many times in my office I've seen a parent start talking to their kid, trying to explain why what they're doing was wrong and talking about future. The reason why you can't yell like that at your friend is because someday in the future, if you yell at your boss, your boss is going to fire you. And then if you get fired, you're going to be without a job. And then how are you going to make money? And this is whole drawn out explanation as to why they shouldn't do what they're doing. And 10 seconds into the lecture, the kid is already checked out and looking around my office or just wishing they were anywhere but there. And probably in their head, they are somewhere else and not even listening anymore. So although we think the lecture is the answer, it almost never is. So you want to reduce your words. You want to be more concise and short, especially if your child is emotionally overwhelmed and going through something. It's going to be even harder for them to process things. So you want to be short and concise and get to the point. And I always tell parents, and they kind of use a similar similar language in the book at one point, you want to make sure you're having a dialogue, not a monologue. If you're the only one talking, it's not going well. So if you're talking straight to your kid for 10 minutes and you think this is really helping my child learn something, you're probably getting it wrong. Make it have a back and forth. You say something, they say something. Ask them questions. And even another one of the strategies they have is involve your child in the discipline. And this is very important. You can even ask your kid, what do you think the consequence should be? Or I always tell parents, even beforehand, when it comes to planning the rules or preparing rules, talk to your kids about it, have them be involved. Okay. What time do you think your bedtime should be? And of course, you're not just going to take their word for it. If they say 2 a.m., you're not going to let your five-year-old sleep at 2 a.m., but you're going to have a conversation with them and make them feel like they're involved. And the good news is we know that when people are involved in making the rules, they're more likely to follow them. They're more likely to abide by them. And when they break them, they understand the consequences and they agree to the consequences. So this is how parenting proactively can be helpful. When you just come to your kid and say, your bedtime is at eight. And if it's 8.01, you're up, you're going to, you're going to get it. Okay. Now you've created a battle. You've initiated a battle with your child and they're going to see if they can sleep at 8.03 just to win. You're not working with your child. You're working against your child. It's not a win-win. It becomes win-lose. But when you involve your child in the discipline or in the, uh, the rules or roles of the household, you're much more likely to have uh, better interactions in the long term. Now, you also want to embrace their emotions, something I was talking about before. That's a big strategy. Your kids need to hear uh, you reflect their feelings. And even this has a positive impact. Just labeling an emotion, even for an adult, can be helpful. So if you're feeling something and all of a sudden someone says, you know, it looks like you're feeling really anxious, and you say, oh, yeah, I'm feeling really anxious, it leads to a reduction in how intense the feeling is, just that labeling part. So for your kids who will have a harder time understanding them and understanding their emotions and even how to label them, they need more of your support in this way. But by telling them, what it seems like they're feeling. You don't tell them this is what you feel, but you might ask them where it seems like you feel this way. You will help them get more in touch with their feelings, but also actually reduce the intensity of the feeling in the moment. So you get a lot of benefits from that. But you have to make sure you show them that their feelings are important and very importantly, that all of their feelings are important and okay. A lot of parents are great with happiness and positive emotions, but once it comes to anger and sadness, they have no tolerance for it and they make it this hugely negative 
and horrible thing. We don't want to do that because all of us are going to feel those things at times. You're going to feel sad. You're going to feel angry. And if we give our child the message that you're only good when you're happy, then what we're telling them is you're not good because overall they will feel those other negative feelings at some time. And we have to make sure we embrace the whole child, all parts of them, so they can learn that they are lovable at their core. They don't have to be ashamed of who they are if they ever feel uh, angry or sad or that people will go away if they feel angry or sad or that these feelings make them bad in some way. We have to show them that all their feelings are okay. And what's very important when it comes to feelings, and sometimes we hear, well, feelings are good and okay and all that, and so we think that means that, so if you have a feeling, you can act on it however you want. No, not at all. That's one of the big messages we teach our kids, and even as adults, we have to make sure we're learning, is that you always say yes to your feeling, but how you express it is important. You can't say, well, because I was angry, I burned down your house. You can say I was really angry, and I'm going to tell you about it, or I'm going to express it to you. Or I was very sad, so I expressed it in this way. So it's about understanding our feelings and then expressing them in a way that's healthy and helpful rather than destructive both to ourselves, to property, and then to our relationships. Another important uh, achievement that they talk about when you use the no drama discipline approach is to help your children develop mindsight. Uh, mindsight is a concept or a term that Daniel Siegel created and has a book called Mindsight, but it has three different aspects to it. The first one is insight. So that's, in this case, helping a child understand their own feelings and their responses to difficult situations. So kind of it's about being mindful or aware of themselves. That's one step. The second part is empathy. We want to teach our kids empathy that um, we want to help them practice trying to understand what the other person went through. So at one point in a lot of the disciplining discussions that they talk about, you want to ask the child, what do you think the other person felt like? Let's say it was their sister or a friend. Once you've connected to them, of course. Unfortunately, a lot of parents, they too quickly go to the other person's feelings. They say, oh, you know, my friend was so mean to me, blah, 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 blah. And the parent will say, well, maybe she said this because of that. And they don't connect first to their child and their own feelings about what they're going through and how they experience it and validating and empathizing with them. First do that, connect with your child then you'll have the space and the connection to try to teach them a lesson about empathy, about what maybe the other person was experiencing. That's very important. And then the third part of um, using mindsight, as they talk about it with your uh, kids, is they, you ask them what they can do to make things right. And that's very important uh, for multiple reasons. One is showing them that things go wrong in relationships, but that's not the end of the relationship. We're going to have bad interactions sometimes where we work on things and we resolve them and actually things become uh, even better. But also, you get your child to start thinking of solutions. What do you think you should do? And this is, again, why you don't want to lecture your kids. Well, you shouldn't care what kids think, so tomorrow do this. That's not going to help them as much as saying, yeah, I could see how you really got upset when those kids said those things to you and excluded you from the game. What do you think you want to try tomorrow? and explore with them, see what they come up with. And a lot of times, although you might think I'm doing this to be nice to them and to give them a chance to think, children will come up with better ideas than you can come up with anyway. But nonetheless, it will give them the exercise of thinking about solutions. How can we make things better? Maybe I have to apologize, or maybe I have to ask them for an apology or let them know how they hurt me, or I'm going to repair it in this way or that. But we want to give them the opportunity to explore these ideas of how they can make things better. So I'll stop there. 
But as I mentioned at the top of the show, I highly recommend this book, No Drama Discipline. I know it's the second book of the year, but I think there's a good chance it'll make the top 10 list of 2019 because it has so much great information about parenting uh, and how to approach it the right way. And even when you approach it the best way you can, it's still going to be hard. You're still going to get it wrong a lot of the time, but that's okay. We want to strive to be the best that we can, and this book can help you uh, get there. So that's No Drama Discipline, The Whole Brain Way to Calm the Chaos and Nurture Your Child's Developing Mind by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. All right, we're going into our last commercial break of the show. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. To end the show tonight, I wanted to talk about an important topic in relationships. In this discussion of the book, we talked about a lot of aspects of parenting and things that are important. And I thought actually with the new year, people have new year's resolutions, new year's goals, but also there's things we can do to help repair our relationships. And in that idea of trying to start things off with a clean slate, as we often think about in new year's, we can apologize to loved ones, people close to us in our lives to help clear some of what's gotten in the way of our relationship or the love that we have for each other and the love we can express and share for one another because oftentimes when we do things to hurt one another but there is no repair there is no fixing or trying to fix what happened it damages the relationship whereas i mentioned with uh, even in our parenting experiences if we repair what happened we can actually create a stronger relationship so i thought it was a good time to talk about apologies also uh, on instagram someone had messaged me about this uh, let's see her handle is sh underscore gh and she had mentioned she wanted me to talk about apologies or she was trying to find a show about that and I thought I'd bring it up again because I think it's such an important topic such an important element of maintaining healthy relationships is being able to acknowledge and apologize for things that we do wrong and so of course first and foremost that means we have to come from the mindset that I do make mistakes we all do and accepting that as being a human being, you're going to make mistakes, that's very important. Because if you can't accept that you've done anything wrong ever, as some people maybe feel, because we become so defensive or we feel that we take it as something shameful to acknowledge any kind of wrongdoing, then you're going to have a hard time acknowledging making any mistakes. And you're going to be much more likely to dismiss people, uh, loved ones, if they say you did something they didn't like or somehow blame them, or whatever else you might do. So first and foremost, we have to accept I'm a human being. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to get things wrong. It doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make me a bad partner, brother or sister, or whatever relationship or role we have with the people we're interacting with. So that has to be there. Remember that. You're going to make mistakes, and actually, by acknowledging them, that's a much more loving thing to do than to deny them. So to think I have to pretend or become a perfect partner that's going to hurt your partner much more than acknowledging your um, imperfection as a human being, as a, a loved one. So take that into account first. Then if you actually are willing to acknowledge you've done something, what's so important in an apology is our intention. Because like many things, not all apologies are created equal. And like everything we do, 
um, our intention is so important. I was talking to someone very close to me recently about the importance of our intention and some of the things that we're doing. And so when it comes to apologies, it's no different. It's so important why you're apologizing. Because what you notice is that the majority of apologies aren't coming from the intention of, I feel I did something wrong, I feel bad about that, and I want to acknowledge and apologize to you for what I have done and to work through that with you. Usually, people apologize to exonerate themselves, to remove the guilt from themselves, or they want to make sure you're not angry with them. So it's about the person apologizing rather than the person they're apologizing to. And so this kind of what it'll look like is people will say, I'm really sorry to that. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. Okay? We're okay? And they're focused just on getting the okay from you, getting the forgiveness from you. It's about them, not you. And that's a problem. That's not a genuine apology that's coming from the place of regret and remorse and I feel bad about what I did. That's just coming from a place of I want to make sure I'm good. I want to make sure you're not mad at me or that I didn't do anything really wrong or whatever else it might be. I can't handle that guilt or that shame. Maybe it might be for some people that makes it so hard for them to bear that. But I'm going to apologize to you just to get forgiveness. And if your intention is to get instant forgiveness or to exonerate yourself or make yourself not guilty of a crime, that's not going to be the right intention of an apology. An apology has to come from a place of, I'm sorry for what I did. I recognize what I did hurt you. And that's why I want to acknowledge this and work through it. So we can go through some of the elements of what a genuine apology does have. To begin with, it's very important to start the apology with saying I'm sorry or something like that, with that kind of word for what you have done. What a lot of people might do is they'll start talking about why they did it or what the other person did that made them do it. See, you did that, so that's why I said that mean thing, but it was because you said what you said first. So again, it's not about acknowledging what we've done. It's blaming someone else or taking the guilt off of ourselves. You want to start with, I'm sorry for what I have done. That's it. You don't need to get into the justification yet. You don't need to explain why. And you definitely don't want to blame them for what you've done. You see this happen so many times. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry for what I did, but it's only because what you said was crazy. Okay, that's not an apology. That's saying you were the wrong one. I was the right one. I'm trying to win against you, not win with you win together. So there has to be some kind of expression of regret or of wrongdoing. I'm sorry for what I did. And then once that makes, uh, has become clear that that has landed with the person, then the explanation can be good. Not in trying to exonerate yourself, not to say, see what I did wasn't that wrong or I had to do it. But that explanation can give the person you're talking to the insight into what happened so that they may be more easily able to not take it personally. Because if I say the reason, let me explain to you what happened. So I had a bad day today. And so because of that, when I came home, I was just so stressed. And so when I saw that you had already started the dinner, I got really upset and I reacted really harshly. So we're not saying I had to react harshly or it's not my fault I reacted harshly, but just an understanding so that the other person doesn't just think, you just came home and wanted to be mean to me today, if that's how it felt to them. But some things were going on. You know, at work today, my boss yelled at me and even threatened to fire me. So by the time I got home, I was feeling all these things. And so when we finally started talking, that's how I started. But I, I'm sorry, I, I should not have responded that way. I should not take out my anger from work 
on you. So the explanation could give them a lot of insight into what happened. In some ways, depersonalize the situation, also help them understand where you're coming from, which will help the situation as well. But the whole time, you want to make sure you're acknowledging the responsibility. So again, it's not because of what happened, I had to do it, or because of what you did, I did this. I'm still responsible for what I did. I shouldn't have reacted in that way. Uh, but you give that explanation. You also, of course, want to express that you feel bad about it. I'm sorry that I hurt you. And with that, it can be very important to show empathy of showing I can understand how that hurt you. I can understand how it was hurtful when I said this or I said it that way. That must have been very painful and I feel very bad about that. So this point is very important to make it clear that you're empathizing with them. You understand how what you did was hurtful to them. Because sometimes people will say, yeah, I said it was that, but I don't know why you cared so much. That's invalidating their feelings. You want to validate their feelings of what they went through. I can see how that was hurtful. It makes sense to me. I'm sorry for that. Then you also want to repair the situation if possible. Um, so if you did something wrong that could be repaired, oh, I'm sorry, I kind of ruined the dinner tonight. Maybe I can take you out to dinner tomorrow night or tomorrow night I'll cook for you or tomorrow I'll do this or at some point I'll repair what happened. But that can show that I want to make right what happened wrong and show that you really do care about how you hurt this person and you want to make that effort. That can be very important. And related to that, another very important point is if you're genuinely apologizing, you want to make it clear to them that you don't want to do it again, whatever it is that you did. And all of us have probably experienced receiving an apology from someone that doesn't feel very genuine because they keep doing the same thing. So if you really feel bad about what you did, you should be making every effort to not do that thing again, or else it doesn't feel like you care enough or care that much about not doing it or think it's not that bad and you keep repeating that same behavior. So you might even explain how you're trying to uh, not have that happen again. I'm going to be more mindful of this. I'm going to make an effort. Um, even sometimes I'm going to therapy about this. You know, you might say that, I'm sorry, I brought up, uh, you know, I said those questions or I asked you those things in that way. And, you know, this is something I'm working on in my therapy. It doesn't mean that that makes it okay and now you're off the hook completely, but really showing them that you're making efforts and you feel bad and you take responsibility. It's about you and your issues. It's not about them and you're going to work on it. So again, you want to show some way that you're making it clear to them that I don't want to do this again because I don't feel good about hurting you and I don't want to hurt you because I care about you. And another important element of an apology is that we don't expect immediate forgiveness. We know that forgiveness can take time and just because we've said some things doesn't mean it's enough and it doesn't mean that the time is enough. Someone can still be hurt even though you've given a very genuine, sincere, heartfelt and kind apology. It doesn't mean their feelings just evaporate. It can help and actually we know that one of the most helpful things in, in having someone feel better after they've been hurt by someone is to receive an apology. I use the example because I think it's a very a quick one and, and illustrates the point of if you've ever been driving and someone cuts you off, if they kind of do that bringing their hand up thing, I just did it, I know you can't see it, where they tell you, I'm sorry, that was, you know, kind of gives you that feeling I was close. Usually if you were feeling angry, it goes away or at least becomes a lot less because you feel like they acknowledged it. They realize they kind of made a mistake. But if they don't acknowledge it or force they flick you off 
or whatever else they might do, you're going to get very, very angry. But just the acknowledgement part, if they put their hand up and say, oh, my bad, I'm sorry, that'll make you feel better that you feel, okay, they recognize the wrong. Because anger comes from a place of feeling like someone has wronged us. And if they acknowledge that they've wronged us, the feeling usually becomes a lot less. So nonetheless, we have to understand that when we apologize, we don't get instant forgiveness. And again, if our intention isn't just to get forgiveness, then we can be patient with our loved one. But if I only wanted forgiveness, that was the whole point of my apology, that's when you're going to see someone say, oh, come on, I said sorry. And you've probably seen that before. Someone says, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I hurt you, uh, that was my fault, blah, blah, blah. And then like a minute later, like, are you still mad? They're like, yeah, well, I still don't feel great about it. Say, oh my God, but I said I'm sorry. I'm sorry doesn't mean the interaction has ended. Apologizing doesn't mean forgiveness has been achieved. Sometimes forgiveness takes time. Of course, it depends on what you've done and the relationship and all sorts of other things. But we have to be ready that it's not going to be over. And because of that, it's going to be a conversation. So yes, you have your apology where you might say lots of things and hopefully address some of these points that I was talking about uh, in this segment. But then you also want to hear from them. And there's probably going to be some back and forth. They say, but I, I just couldn't believe that you did that or it, this part of it hurts so much. Because you want to understand also what happened. You don't want to just assume, I know why you were hurt. I know why you were feeling what you're feeling. And I know exactly what you were feeling. You want to have a conversation where they can explain, no, but it was this part of it because it meant so much to me, blah, 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 blah. And that can give you some more insight. I think you say, oh, I, you know, I, that part of it, I didn't even recognize. Now that you say it, and then you can explain now your side too. So apologies, of course, it's going to be a, a statement of apology. And I don't mean that like when someone in the media uh, has a statement of apology that they express to the media. I'm saying in a relationship, you're still going to have that expression, but it's going to be part of a conversation. And there's going to be a back and forth. And when you genuinely care about the person and you're coming from a genuine place with your apology, you let them know, I'm willing to wait for you to forgive me. And if there's more you need from me or you want to talk about it more, I'm here for you for that too, to figure that out. Because I know that what I did hurt you and you might not immediately forgive me. I hope you will forgive me, but I'm going to give you that space to figure that out. So we have to be aware that when our intention is coming from a place of acknowledging our wrongdoing, showing our care for our partner, whoever it is, and letting them know we want to work on this so we don't hurt them again in this way. And we also want to work on this situation in the moment to see how we can help them feel better if there's anything we can do. That's going to be approaching the apology from the right way. And in almost all of our relationships, there are these unsaid apologies because we've hurt one another but never apologized for it and never worked through it. So as I was saying at the top of the segment, think about relationships in your life and how you probably have some unsaid apologies that would be important for you to express to your loved one that might help repair and build the relationship and make that flow of love between you and that person even stronger, even better. All right, we've reached the end of tonight's show. Again, no show Monday night, but I'll be with you. Oh, sorry, I'll be on with you this Wednesday, but again, next Monday, there won't be a show. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fyderlock. We thank you to Amir here in the studio. Have a good night.